going through the book of Galatians, and we'll be in Galatians chapter 4, all right? Galatians chapter 4 this evening, and I want to I preach the same as if there's five people or 500 people, you know? I study the same. I put in the same work and the same time to study for these messages, and uh, so, so I just want to be a blessing tonight to you guys, and hope I can be. And we'll be in Galatians chapter 4, verses 11 through 18, as we'll look at in just a moment. But as you're finding your place there, keep in mind Paul is writing, remember? But he's writing to the churches of Galatia because of the false teachers that have uh, begun to creep into this area and creep into these churches, uh, no doubt through their uh, hermeneutical-ish uh, persuasion and whatnot, and I'm sure they're very good with their speech and silver-tongued and very flashy, I'm sure. But with all that, they begin to make their way into these churches and begin, begin to spread false teaching, and as Paul called it, another gospel, a false gospel. But that false gospel they were spreading was this. Yes, sure, have Jesus, but you need to do all these things as well to ensure your salvation. They were teaching a works-based salvation that is no salvation at all, a works-based gospel that is no gospel at all. And so Paul, he sits down to defend the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is this, it is by faith. It is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not of the works of the law. That's how someone is saved, it's by faith, it's through faith. And he wants to sit down and defend that and declare it one more time to these churches in the area of Galatians. So that's what he's doing with this whole book of the Bible. But as we come to this portion of Scripture this evening, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 11 through 18, we kind of took note of this last time, but it seems that Paul has, has stopped for a moment and is putting some personal notes in, in the middle of this chapter. He starts out in the first part of this chapter saying a lot of these pronouns, as in you or, or, or you guys or whatever, or we, but now he goes more to a personal note. In the latter end of chapter 4, he begins using more the pronoun of this, I. Or my. He is putting some personal notes here for these believers to read. And it should enhance their thinking about what they're believing uh, from these Judaizers and the false teaching they're believing. And so that's what he's trying to get at, I believe, in this portion of Scripture here that we'll look at this evening. So let's look at it together. Galatians chapter 4, and we'll start in verse number 11. And let's go down through verse number, uh, verse number 18. All right, verse number 11. I am afraid of you. Lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation which was in my flesh he despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy, because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you, that you might affect them. But it is good to be zealous affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for the word of God. And I pray, Lord, as the psalmist said, open thou mine eyes, and behold wondrous things out of thy law. And I pray you would do just that. Help us to see the truth, and help us to apply it to our lives that we may grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and our faith become uh, deeper rooted in you. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. 
So we see here a personal note. He's starting to write to these believers here in the area and churches of Galatia. And as we saw this last time, as he's bearing his heart, we saw this last time, the first two uh, personal notes. And we saw this first one. It was a personal concern that he brought to their attention. And you can see that in verse number 11. Just going to kind of recap this before we dive into the last half of this message, all right, this lesson. But he gave a personal concern, verse number 11, when he says, I am afraid of you. Now, he was not saying he was afraid that they would hurt him in a physical manner. He was not saying he was afraid if they got in a fist fight, he would lose. That's not what he was saying, all right? He's not saying I'm afraid of you in a physical manner, but rather he says he's afraid of you, meaning I have a fear for you, meaning I am concerned for you. But why would Paul be concerned for them? Here is why he was concerned. He was afraid of where the teaching of the Judaizers would lead them. He was afraid of where they may end up afraid of them wrecking their lives, ruining their lives, ruining the lives of others, doing harm to the church, or even misrepresenting the gospel and the Lord himself. Understand these false teachings of these false teachers leads to false believing. And false believing leads to false behavior. And so Paul was afraid of all of that. He was afraid of the path that they would be on. And any good friend or any good preacher, any good pastor would, would at the very least point out that path that they're going on is very concerning. So that's exactly what he's doing. He said, I'm afraid of you. Many, I'm afraid where you're going to end up. I'm afraid of the direction you are going. But this personal concern did not come out of a place of hate or anger or jealousy that they may be listening to these false teachers more than him. That's not where it came from. No, this, this personal concern came from a personal care and love that he had for them. And so number two, we saw this last time, we saw his personal calamity because that's how it's proven. His love for them was proven through his calamity that he endured and suffered. And we know that Paul suffered a lot. We know he had a lot of turmoil and persecution and tribulation in his life as he went to these unreached places with the gospel of Jesus Christ to try to reach his Gentiles. After all, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. But as Paul journeyed on his missionary journeys to these, this area of the world to take the gospel to these people, the Bible records for us many times how he suffered and, and, and the ways he suffered. Uh, we can see in the portion of Scripture in the book of Acts that he suffered by even being stoned and left for dead there at Lystra. Uh, we can see as well in other cities where he was imprisoned time and time again. I heard old preachers say when Paul came into a town, the first place he visited was the prison to see how he's going to end up, you know. But he was imprisoned just about any and every city he went into. And just about every city as well, he, was, he, he endured uh, beatings and stripes or whippings. Uh, he endured a lot. You can read of these, uh, these, this treatment that he suffered in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 28, when he talks about all the perils that he suffered. He kind of boils it down in that chapter, in those verses. But understand, he went through a lot, so much calamity, so much sacrifice, so much infirmity as he says it. So no wonder he needed the good Dr. Luke to partner with him on his journeys because he needs someone to take care of him and take care of his, of his infirmities and of his bruises and of his wounds and, yes, keep him alive, you know. He needed a good doctor. So Dr. Luke accompanied him many times on his missionary journeys. But he did it for this reason. There's a greater purpose. There's a greater purpose. And, yes, his greater purpose was take the gospel to all the world, yes, 
He did that for the gospel's sake, absolutely. He did it, yes, because he loved the Lord Jesus, absolutely. He did it, yes, because he loved the gospel, absolutely. But he did it for this reason, too. He loved these dear people. He loved them, and it was proven over and over again as he hazarded his life to give them the salvation gospel message of Jesus Christ. And why would anybody do that if they didn't have a love in their heart for the people? So we see his, uh, we see his concern, but it was birthed out of, his, out of his love, and we see it through the calamity that he had. So he's putting his personal notes in here that should, that should stir up their thinking about his teaching, about the true teaching of the gospel and his love for them. It should stir them up in this moment, these personal notes that he lists for them. So we saw those two last time. And as we continue on this evening in this portion of Scripture, we can see a few more of these personal notes that Paul inserted in this chapter. And another note I'd like for us to look at is this one, number three. Take note of, his, of this personal care, all right? Now, the personal care I want to bring to our attention this evening is, is not Paul's care for them. We already know that through what he suffered and went through. That's already been proven, right? But rather, what I would see from here, is, as Paul's pointing out, is this. He's pointing out their care for him. Look at verse 14 again. All right. The Bible says this, verse 14 and 15. In my temptation, which was in my flesh, he despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then this blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record. He said, look, remember this. Remember, I bear you record. You guys would have done this for me. I bear you record that if it had been impossible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and had given them to me. <laughs> that, that right there, that verse alone shows that these individuals had great concern and care for Paul themselves. And Paul is just bearing in record, bringing up their, their memory, stirring their, their memory of what they used to do for, for him. But it's interesting in verse 14, when it says, in my temptation which was in my flesh, you despised not nor rejected. This is very interesting to me because the word temptation here is not talking about a temptation like as we would think of being tempted to sin. That's not what he is speaking of. He is not saying you're being tempted to sin or anything like that. Rather, he's talking about a temptation this way. That when Paul first came to the, the area of Galatia and to these people, that the Galatians, they had a temptation to do this, to put him away a temptation to reject him, a temptation to turn away from him and not listen to him. But why were they tempted this way? Why were they tempted to turn away? Because Paul said it this way. Here, here's the reason they were tempted. The temptation which was in my flesh, meaning Paul's flesh. But what was that? Listen, Paul had some form of or kind of infirmity or some sort of sickness or some sort of physical calamity that was going on in his, in his body. It would appear he had some kind of sickness or disease that would scare most people away so they too would not get what Paul had. It would be like somebody coming in this evening, they're declaring unto you they have the flu or COVID. Guess what would happen? Everybody would scatter, all right? You don't want to be around them. You don't want to be around sick people, right? That's what he's getting at. He had some kind of sickness and they knew about it and had a temptation of not even going near him, not going to go hear him. I don't want to be around this man. They had a temptation to not hear him. Now, we don't know exactly what it was, that infirmity or that <clears throat> in his flesh that he, that he had. Some suggest, it's just a suggestion, we don't know. Bible isn't loud about this, but 
Some would suggest that at this moment, Paul had something wrong with his eyes. And they would say this because of verse 15 when he says, If it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. So I don't know if there was something wrong with his eyes and it was like a horrendous case of pink eye. I don't know, all right? But it was nasty and matted and whatever it may have been. But it was enough to make someone disgusted and not be around him. But something's going on in his, in his body, whatever his infirmity was. Maybe it was from the beatings he endured, the imprisonments he endured, the stoning or whatever that caused this physical calamity and infirmity to come upon him that these people were so naturally disgusted and put off by just his, his very physical appearance. And so they're afraid of him, right? They don't want to be around him, most people. Now, again, we don't know what that had been. But they had still had a temptation to reject him and not be in close proximity. But something changed their minds. Something changed their minds about Paul. Something caused them to come close to Paul and have a deep concern and care for him. What was that that caused them to come close and care for him? Look at verse 13. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preach the gospel unto you at the first. What caused it? What was it that caused them to come close and care for Paul? It was this. It was the gospel message. And the power behind in which it was preached, behind the gospel that was preached, that changed their minds about Paul. The message he preached was, was more than made up for the mere physical infirmity that would have been more repulsive, all right? The message made up for all of that. It, it was so much made up for it that the Bible says in verse 14, it says this, that they received him, received me, see Paul, as an angel of God. Look, the way Paul preached, they thought Paul was a messenger from another world. That's the power behind this man. That's the power behind the message. And we know this literally happened in Lystra when they believed that Paul was the false god, of course, Mercury. And they said they, the gods are come down incognito kind of thing, right? They thought that he was Mercury. And, of course, Mercury, no, was the messenger of the gods in Greek mythology. But they thought this was a man uh, from another world. He was, this is an angel of God. He preached so well and had such power behind him. It was the gospel that made the difference in this moment in the lives of the Galatians and even Paul as they received him and cared for him. So we see Paul here making a personal note for these Galatians. He's saying, look, I'm, I'm bearing you record. You, you remember these things. And in it, he's pointing out something that made the difference, and it was the gospel. That bringing the gospel to them is what made difference in their life, in their care for him, their concern for, for them, and his suffering that he went through was all because of the gospel. And they were reminded the gospel made the difference, not the law. They were reminded it was the message from the lips of Paul that made the difference, not the teaching, false teaching of these Judaizers. He's trying to, again, stir their memory. Remember, this is kind of... Continue on the interrogations he's having with these individuals from chapter 3. It's continuing on all these questions. He's trying to stir them up by way of remembrance. To bear them record that they remember these things that had happened. And it was all because of the gospel message. All right. So he's pointing out another care. Another, or I'm sorry, another personal note. And it was their care for him. It had been amazing to see and witness. All right. What else does he point out in a personal note? Okay. Lastly, here's another personal note that he points out, and it's a personal challenge. A personal challenge from Paul himself. Now, 
The challenges that he brings are, of course, in the form of questions. And is anybody challenged when someone questions you? Anybody? I get, yeah. You question me, it's a, I take it as a challenge, right? And um, it's almost like this. Well, I bet you can't climb that tree. Do you think you can climb that tree? Uh, yeah, I can climb that tree. I bet you can't climb up on this roof and go across the whole roof of the, of the church, Pastor. Do you think you can do that? Of course I can. What do you, what do you, of course, it's a challenge. We want to try and fall and hopefully have good insurance, you know, but anyway, uh, but it's a challenge, right? We get, when we get questioned, we, think, we take it as a challenge, and there's two questions here that Paul brings as a personal note, and I think challenges, and it should have at least, challenged them. Look at verse 15. Where is then the blessedness you spake of? Question one. For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Question number two. They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that, they, that ye might affect them. But it is good to be zealous affected always in a good thing and not only when I'm present with you. So question number one is this. Challenge number one is this. When he says this, where is then the blessedness you spake of? Or maybe to get a better understanding, you could, you could say it this way. Where is that joy? Where is that happiness you have talked about? That you have experienced at one time? That you have had? Now, this question would insinuate that they at one time were, were very happy, very joyful people. And they spake of it to others. Where's that blessedness, that happiness ye spake of? Where, where is that? Where did this blessedness come from? Where is it? Where did it come from? Where does happiness come from? Well, we know where it didn't come from. We know it did not come from the time when they were caught up in their false Greek mythology with those that were no gods, verse number 8. We know it didn't come from that. We know that they were in the beggarly elements of the world. We know it didn't come from that. It didn't come from any of that. It didn't come from their dark past. It didn't come from the false teaching of these Judaizers. So again, it kind of insinuates that they were happy, but maybe not. now they're not so much. They at one time had some joy, but now not so much. Where's that blessedness you spake of? Where did it come from? Well, it didn't come from these things. So where did it come from? It came when the Apostle Paul came to town and began to preach unto them the Lord Jesus Christ. And after they believed on him as their savior, they found a newfound joy they never had in their life before, a blessedness they had never had in their life before. They found joy in Christ. They found their blessedness in the Lord. It all came from Jesus. That's where it came from. Understand, in his personal note, in his quick personal challenge, he's trying to get their hearts and minds to go back to the Lord. I believe he is trying to get their minds to go back to the true gospel that they believed upon, the, the true Jesus that they believed upon and found that joy that they so needed. And listen, every, every single person, if they're honest with themselves, so desires today. They try and want happiness. They try and want joy. People do, I'm telling you. People, if they're honest with themselves, that's what they want. They want to be happy. They want joy in their life. They want peace deep down. They, they search for it in so many areas. They search for it in the world's, in the world's ways by, you know, maybe if I, you know, I, I just need to drink a little bit, take the edge off, and I'll relax a little bit and, you know, be a little happy. <laughs> but at the end of an empty bottle, guess what? They find themselves still empty. 
Maybe they take a little pill here, a little pill there, or take a little shot of this, a little shot of that, put a needle in this arm and a needle in that arm. Guess what? At the very end of it all, they still find themselves empty, and probably more so than when they started. So where do they find it? They find it, joy, happiness. We find it in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it is. And I believe he's saying, when he says this challenging question, where is then the blessedness you spake of? Question mark. When he's asking this question, it should point them back to a time. When Paul first came to town, preached the gospel, they believed on Jesus Christ and had joy unspeakable that's full of glory they never had before. Let me ask you a question this evening, folks. I'm going to assume we're all saved here this evening. But do you remember when you first got saved? Or do you remember when you first got right with God? I mean, you got right with God. And you remember that joy that flooded your heart and mind. I'm talking like, as when the Bible says joy unspeakable and full of glory, you can't explain it. You can't explain it. I remember when I, when I got saved when I was 16 years old. If I felt like the whole weight of the church and the world was lifted off my shoulders and, the, and my heart was just flooded with happiness and joy. I can't explain why. I can't explain exactly how. All I know is that I, was, I needed Jesus and Jesus said he would save me if I called upon him and I did exactly that. I believed upon him, called upon him, he saved me and he filled me with joy that night. I can't explain it. And of course, my joy, it really, it more or less leaks out of my eyes and then more than out of my mouth, okay? So... But I was, it was happy tears. I can't explain it. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory. But do you remember that time when you got saved or thoroughly right with God, the joy that flooded your heart and your soul? That's what he's trying to do. Do you remember that blessedness you spake of? And then after, after that night you got saved, that day you got saved or got right with God, you couldn't wait to tell someone about it? I remember that. It was that night after I got saved. Walking, walking back to the car with my buddies. Look, I didn't grow up in church faithfully, all right. I was a C&E Christian, Christmas and Easter, all right. And uh, so I didn't grow up in church faithfully. I didn't know after you get saved you're supposed to witness. I didn't know that, but I had the Holy Spirit inside of me saying, tell them, tell them, tell them. So I'm walking in front of them. I gave my heart to the Lord tonight. <laughs> and it came out about that fast and un. Uh, you couldn't understand what I was saying, all right? But one of my buddies did understand what I said. He said, you gave your heart to God tonight. I said, yeah, I called upon the Lord to save me tonight, man. And, and I saw my heart pumping, and I decided to tell you guys. He said, dude, you got saved tonight. I said, yes, that's what it is, you know. That's what it was. But the joy, I couldn't explain it. I, couldn't, I never wanted to tell anybody before that happened, because I never did, but they did that night. And so the blessedness that you spake of, that's what he's trying to get at. That happiness, that joy. And then you talked about it. Remember that, guys? Galatians, do you remember? Do you remember when you got saved? Do you remember that happiness? Do you remember telling people about it? That's what he's saying. He's presenting to them a challenge here. A personal challenge. Do you remember that? It's something we all need to remember from time to time. Who here gets a little burden from time to time with day-in, day-out stuff, circumstances of life? Anybody? My only one. Okay, about five of us. Okay, good. <clears throat> from time to time, we get burdened down with circumstances of life. And sometimes those circumstances of life, we allow them to steal our joy. They don't just come and rob it and, and run away like a little squirrel that found an acorn, okay? But we allow them to take it. 
Sometimes we get so burdened down with the circumstances of life and allow them to take it away. You know what we need to do? We need to stop and think back again of that blessedness you spake of. Think back again what Jesus has done. It may not, you may not have to go all the way back to the day you got saved, but go back to a recent blessing or a recent encouragement or a recent answered prayer and find some joy again. Because you're going to find joy in the Lord. That's how we do it. And we think upon him. Think upon the Lord and all he's done for you. And you'll get some joy back. You'll, get, you'll start getting some joy back. And then guess what? When you start getting joy back, that blessedness back, guess what's going to happen? You're going to speak about it again. And that's what he's trying to remind these guys in this challenge. All right, so challenge number one. Challenge number one, he says this. Remember that blessedness you spake of before? Remember that? Remember how happy you used to be when you heard the gospel and got saved? Remember that? That came through the true gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection for you. And you received it by faith. Remember that blessedness? All right. Then he presents another personal challenge, verse, verse uh, 16. Am I therefore become your enemy... Because I tell you the truth. Understand, Paul loved these dear people. Oh, he cared for them dearly. He cared for them so very much. And we see that through the things he suffered and endured to get them the gospel. We know his love for them. And I believe he could, he could do and would do anything he could to help them. But there's one thing he would not do. He would not compromise the truth just to stay on their good side. He ain't going to do it. He would not do that. Understand, the Judaizers may have been speaking evil of the truth, as, as Peter would talk about the false teachers would do. They speak evil of the truth in 2 Peter 2, 2. But Paul would never do this. He is not going to speak evil of the truth. Rather, he's going to speak the truth, boldly proclaim the truth, and do so in love. And if there's ever a time in which we live, it is now that we need to boldly exclaim and proclaim the truth. Here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Listen. In love. In love. We need to boldly exclaim the truth in love today. Proclaim the truth, understand, may get you some enemies, and maybe even more so than friends. But Paul knew all too well about that. But Paul understood true, understood also that truth, truth would set someone free, just as it did these Galatian believers. Jesus said it in John chapter 8, verse 31 through 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Paul knew this. He was so, he was so caught up in the Jude, Judaism and Judaizers' rituals and rules. He knew all too well about the law and keeping of the law and keeping of the holy days and keeping of the Sabbath and keeping of this rule and keeping of this ritual. He knew all too well about all of that. But when he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, changed his life forever. He found truth. He met truth face to face. It changed his life forever. And it set him free. And so he's trying to do that as well with these Galatian believers. Truth will make you free. And by the way, truth has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. But then he points out this as he gives a challenge. He kind of points out the real thieves behind. They're, you know, painting Paul to be an enemy. They're the ones that are doing it, no doubt. They're the ones that are painting Paul to be an enemy. False teachers do that, by the way. They'll paint anybody that's a faithful uh, 
truth teller, faithful, gospel preacher, faithful, Bible preacher, teacher, whatever it may be, they will paint that person as an enemy and as the one who's in the wrong. That's what a, that's what a false teacher will do. And so Paul points out who was the real thieves behind their joy and who was the real one painting the picture of him being the enemy. And he points it out in verse number uh, 17. They, there it is, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. He points it out, and they're the ones that were doing it. They were the ones that are doing it. They're the ones that were the thief of their blessedness that they once spoke of. They were the ones that turned their heart against Paul. The Judaizers did it, and their false gospel and false teachings. Understand, a false teacher will do this. They will draw people away to themselves and from the truth. They will draw people away from truth and to themselves. They'll draw people away from a church to, to something different that teaches the truth. They'll draw, they'll draw people away from, again, a, a, a preacher or a teacher or pastor who preaches the truth. They will draw people away from the truth to themselves. To themselves. I mean, what was it that these Judaizers came to town doing? They wasn't preaching the gospel. wasn't pointing people to Jesus Christ. wasn't lifting up the name of Christ. Lifting up Jesus' name? No, it was lifting up their name. It was pointing people to themselves. That's what they were doing. Paul came to Galatia not to preach himself, but to preach Jesus and the gospel and, and, the, Lord, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he came preaching. That was his mission. But the mission of these Judaizers was not the same. It was to take these believers and convert them, proselyze them to themselves. That's what they wanted to do. Paul said it this way. Look at it again in verse 17. They zealously affect you, but not well. Zealously affect you here, it means, it means they had a, a desire. It means to court. It'd be like when you uh, first met your soon-to-be wife or whatever, men, and you're like, man, she's, she's really pretty. And uh, you have a desire to get to know her more and to meet her and, and that kind of thing, so you court her, right, or date her. But you do this in, in order to do what? To win her over. That's what they were doing. That's what zealously affect means. They, were, they had a desire to date them, court them kind of thing. Uh, not, in, not in a weird sense, all right? But you know what I mean, okay? But to win them over for that reason. Win them over to what? To themselves. Win them over to themselves. They wanted to win these Galatians, not to Christ, but to themselves. Again, this is a mark of a false teacher. And Paul, uh, I'm sorry, Peter plainly puts that out there in his uh, second epistle. He says these words. 2 Peter 2 one through three. But there are false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. That's what he's saying. They're drawing, they're drawing, these false teachers draw people away to themselves to use them and abuse them, not in a good way. That's what Paul's trying to get at. That's what Peter was teaching as well. And this was a Judaizer's mission to bring these people to themselves and never point them to Jesus Christ. And Paul, he knew this all too well, again, because he was in that same type of thing. He may, he may not have been trying to win people to himself when he went about persecuting the church, but it was the same evil motives, to bring people away from the truth, 
So Paul knows all too well of their, of their motive and their, their intentions behind what they are doing to draw them away to themselves. Why? Because he was just like them. So Paul here, <clears throat> very concerned and loving these people, in the midst of defending the gospel, in the midst of these interrogations he's having, he sits down and writes a little personal note and proves his concern for them. If they continue on his path, they're going to be in a wrong place where they never intended to be. And he proved, he proved his love for them but by the calamity and the things that he suffered and faced. But then he brought to their attention, he said, look, I want to bear your record. Remember, remember this. I want to bring this to your attention. Your love for me. You know my love for you, but remember your love for me as well? I mean, if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes, which, by the way, that word pluck means to literally bore or dig out your eyeballs and give it to Paul. <laughs> your love for me was real. My love for you is still real. And, by the way, don't you remember that blessedness you spake of? And am I become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. He is trying to get them to see the error of their way or the error of the teaching of these false teachers, these Judaizers. Because remember, what we, what we listen to, our, our, our belief determines our behavior. And he's trying to get them to see what they're believing with these false teachings, false teachers. He's leading them down a path that is not good for them. And his little personal note he wants them to be aware of for his care there's concern, calamity, their care for him, and this is, of course, the challenge to get back on the right path. 